0: Publish Podcast, episode 33. Welcome to the Publish Her Podcast, a place where you can come to get inspiration, motivation, help, encouragement, and support in your journey to write, publish, and sell your book. Hosted by Alexa Bigwarf.
1: Cause I've been where you've been. felt what
0: are you feeling and i don't want to get in your All right, everyone, I am really excited to bring to you a very close friend in the writing community and the publishing community of mine. If we have such a thing, I think we have such a friend, our BFFs in in our community. And this woman has been a part of my journey really since the very beginning or very early on in the process. So I'm interviewing Stacey Aronson. She is the author of the memoir, Raising and Losing, My Remarkable Teenage Mother. She is also the founder of the book doctor is in where she takes writers by the hand as a ghostwriter editor book and website designer and publishing partner to bring books of excellence to life Stacy lives on Whidbey Island, Washington with her soulmate of 21 years, Dana, and their rescued Maine Coon kitty. Visit Stacy at www.stacyaronson.com and www.thebookdoctorisin.com. I'm so excited to interview you as an author this time instead of as an editor or ghostwriter.
1: Oh, I'm so excited to be here with you. You know, I adore you and I'm just so blessed to be in your circle. So this is really a treat for me to be well, on your podcast.
0: Thank you for being, the, the feeling is totally mutual. Um, I will never forget the kindness that you showed to me when I first started out and actually the kindness that you showed to me throughout the years. Um, Stacy was an editor, proofreader actually for um, our Lose the Cape book. Um, our first lose a cape book um that was my first co-authored book that came out but you also gave me such great insight and feedback on sunshine after the storm feedback that really helped me change some things that improved the quality of the book and you've just been a partner that I've gone to and relied on for my clients and for my books throughout the years so i am i'm so excited to see you publish your first Is this your first book? This is your first book that you've seen that you've authored, correct? Yes.
1: Um, It's my first solo. Yeah. I did a co-authorship in 2019, but this is my first solo. So this is pretty exciting for me too.
0: Well, it's, it's especially exciting because it is such a special book. Um, So before we get into too much more of it, I would just love for you to tell us about the book. And today I'm so excited is the actual launch day of this amazing book. It will be when we. It will be when we. When witnesses were. She looked at me. For those of you who can't see us, she gave me a look like, "Huh?" But with the day it goes live, which is not the day we're recording, it will actually be the launch day.
1: Yes, I actually knew. I knew I could trust you if you were saying that.
0: But for a moment, it was like, "What? Okay." Yes. Yeah, so tell tell us
1: all about this
0: beautiful book.
1: Oh well. My mom and I really had a singular experience growing up together. She had me at 16 and she was really a child raising a child. Mm -hmm. And I have to add that my parents did get married (laughs) for a very brief time because my grandparents insisted on it. Um, And I had a wonderful young dad. He turned 20 right before I was born. And he was completely there for me. So my mom got the traditional, you know, custody and he had the weekend visitation and the partial summers or whatever. But I mean, we lived so close together and my dad was very present in my life. So it wasn't just my mom. Um, And then my grandparents were also a huge, huge part of my life. They adored me. I adored them. And so I really grew up in this, what I call sort of this trifecta of <laughs> delicious flavors. Um, I had very distinct worlds with my mom, my dad, and my grandparents. They were all very different. Um, but in, in particular, I'm focused a lot on their relationship with my mom because we grew up really as virtual equals. We were oh. always playmates and friends. That's just the, <laughs> the instinctive choice my mom made. She said she didn't make it consciously, but she just felt like that was the kind of childhood she wanted me to have was complete freedom. She wanted me to always be my authentic self. Mm-hmm. And when you're growing up in that, you're not super aware. You, you don't realize exactly you know how you're being raised. It's just what you're used to. And then as I would, you know, started going to friends' houses and things and seeing how other parents interacted with their kids, I was like, whoa, you know, some kids couldn't speak unless spoken to or, you know, if they were told because I said so. And, you know, I was like, whoa, this is not my world at all. Um, You know, by the time I could talk, my mom and I were having these wonderful open respectful conversations. she always wanted to chat with me and know my opinions and we would take these long walks in Long Beach and um, we would just chat I mean from from the youngest age and so I had all of this respect and unconditional love and this freedom to be myself and it was really wonderful and so a lot of people you know automatically when you hear oh you know I had a 16 year old mom or, you know, we grew up kind of as playmates, people think, whoa, dysfunction, and (laughs) oh, too much responsibility on the child, maybe, or, you know, were you burdened by this? And, and the truth is, is the older I got, and the more reflective I got about my childhood, and my upbringing, my time with my mom and my dad, and I realized, wow, I had something incredible with my mom, being so young, she could have so easily just followed the cues of her upbringing. She could have, you know, tried to shape me into a mini me, um, you know, any, any number of things. She could have taken out on me that, you know, she was saddled with a child when she was still a child, you know, some people do that. Um, but she didn't. Um, she just kind of let me roll with being who I was, all my idiosyncrasies and everything. And and we had so many humorous things in my childhood growing up together that We always laughed about and I thought, you know, I think a lot of these stories would just, they would be fun for people to read. They would also get a glimpse into this quirky, unique relationship. And then years later in the year 2000, when the show Gilmore Girls came out, my mom and I were like, oh my God, this show is about us. This is so (laughs) bizarre because I was very much the bookish conservative Rory. And my mom was like the wild child, unstructured Lorelei. And there were so many parallels in the show. It was just so cool. So we had this Gilmore Girl thing. We had this witty banter that we had cultivated all these years. Very Rory and Lorelai, very, Mm -hmm. you know, watching lots of movies, movie quotes all the time, just being silly and having our own little thing that was just us. And so I thought, you know, writing about this story, hopefully would, first of all, help people kind of see what makes an ideal family from a different Mm -hmm. perspective. Mm -hmm. Because I really think I had the ideal family. So I'm hoping that people can kind of get a glimpse of this kind of uncommon dynamic that we shared. And then a lot of really cool mystical things happened uh, throughout our lives together, lots of magical connections and occurrences. And so I kind of wanted to give people a glimpse of that as well.
0: That's really wonderful. I mean, I think as as a mom who is going through a divorce and raising three kids, like it's, it's also really nice to hear that, the family structure doesn't have to be your typical married mom dad all of that to give children a happy life and 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 for them to to feel loved and cherished which i think is really the most important thing beyond it no matter what your family situation is that, that the children feel seen heard and loved You know, so that was making me very emotional as I was listening to you talk about that, because that is something that I think all parents worry about, like if they're doing things the right way or or, you know, what's going to happen to their kids if their life isn't like traditional, all that kind of stuff. So that's really beautiful. Um, Why? Why now? Why did you choose now to write your mom's story?
1: Well. Unfortunately, um, my mom became ill, um, actually in 2019. And then we were getting her better. And then she took a turn in August of 2020. And what happened was the doctors basically told her if we try to do surgery, it'll probably make things worse. Mm -hmm. And she was just tired. She was Mm -hmm. tired of trying to figure out the next healing protocol. And we went totally natural and holistic. And we did everything to flood her body with immune boosting therapies. And we did everything right. I believe in terms of that, but my mom had a lot of unhealed emotional wounds Hmm. and I really believe that was the source of the cancer that what ended up being cancer. Um, And so when she decided that she wanted to just go home with hospice and she was resolved about her life ending, I really didn't have a choice but to support her. We had spent all of our lives supporting each other, being there. We had weathered storms together. um, And I had done everything I possibly could to help her, to support her, to get her the right protocols. And ultimately, when she said, I'm okay, I think this is my time, it was very difficult for me because growing up together, only 16 years apart, I always imagined that we were going to grow old together, that I was going to have my mom so much longer than anyone else I knew. And so I never imagined that at 68, my mom was going to come home with hospice and I was going to have final days with her. Um, But that's what happened. We had nine final days together. And I write about that in detail in the book, because I think it's important for people to know how those final days were between us, both. Um, I mean, not so much medically, a little bit. Um, right. I, I wasn't really a massive caregiver like so many people, right. but, um, but also the, the spiritual connection, the transition process, yeah. uh, the mystical part of it that occurred that really changed my life Mm -hmm. and my being able to let go. And I'm hoping that that will be inspiring and maybe warm people's hearts and give people hope, uh, that part of the book. Um, So when she left on September 15th, uh, there was a lot to kind of handle after that, of course. And so took care of some things, came home and then went back, took care of more things and came back. And so long story short, when I came back on October 15th, it had been one month, I came up to my desk and had this beautiful birthday card on my desk that I have always kept from my mom. It was just this particular one I love so, so much that I always keep it on my desk. And it says, a daughter is a story whose words you know by heart. Oh. And inside it says, I love the beautiful story of you. And I hadn't read the card in a long time. You know, when when you have something on your desk, a lot of times it just sits there and it becomes part of your decor and you don't really read it or look at it closely. But I picked up that card and I knew my mom's handwriting would be in it and I knew it might spark some emotion for me. But I read it and it says in her writing, the story of you makes my heart sing. I'm so very proud of you. I love you, Brie. Now I called my mom Brie, and that's a s- part of the book that we <laughs> I called her by her by her name, by her name. But anyway. Um, <laughs> um, and so what happened was I thought there's also a story of us. Yeah. There's not just a story of me. I love that my mom loves the story of me, but there's also a story of us. And what happened was I felt so drawn to write that story. I knew that it wasn't something that I could just sort of entertain for another time or yeah, maybe later I'll do that. So I knew the time was now, um, and the stars really aligned. I normally am very busy with clients. I have multiple clients in multiple different stages at one time, but at that particular time I was working with one person who was on hiatus. I was doing a ghostwriting (sighs) project and, um, I had a couple other projects that I was kind of toward the end of, and it just felt like I need to do this now. Yeah. And so I ended up doing NanoRIMO, which most of the listeners probably know what that is, but National Novel Writing Month in November, where the goal is to write 50,000 words in a month. And I thought, okay, 50,000 words probably won't cover this entire memoir, but <laughs> I'm good. So I'm going to shoot for 60,000. I grabbed myself an accountability partner. And I jumped in on November 1st. So just six weeks after my mom had wow. left the earthly plane, I was immersed and I wrote for two months straight. Wow. And uh, ended up with 110,000 words. Wow. <laughs> no more in two months, which still, I have to be honest, is astonishing to me too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I could ever do it again.
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, that's a lot. Well, so one of the things... Um, we discussed briefly before we started recording this was, you know, the difficulties of writing um, when you're healing from, from a loss. And I, I had shared with you that, um, you know, I found writing sunshine after the storm to be a really, healing process for me after, after my daughter passed away. And I was just wondering how that experience was for you, because I get asked a lot from people who want to write stories after grief and loss. Like, is it triggering? When do you start? How do you know? Is it okay? How does it, so how was the process for you?
1: For me, you know, in the beginning and really the first three quarters of the book was, fun stories and all of these wonderful things that had occurred between us, even when there were some rough times. And I don't mean really rough times between us, like the typical mother-daughter fighting or anything. We never did that ever, (laughs) amazingly. Um, But it was more like my mom needed to stretch her wings and I needed to figure out how to support that or deal with that. Um, And so, because we had a lot of role reversal and I was the (laughs) mom sometimes, and (laughs) um, you know, that was just our relationship. And so um, retelling all of those stories was actually really wonderful because it kept her so close. My mom and I talked and texted all the time, um, almost every day. And I really worried a little bit, (laughs) I guess, worried. I don't know if that's the right word, but I thought, oh, wow, this is going to be the most massive hole in my heart and in my life that I don't have her to pick up that phone all the time and share everything with her and goof around with her. How am I going to not have her in my physical world? Yeah. And so when I started writing the book, she really was in my physical world. It was just in a different kind of way. And so the writing for the most part was wonderful and, and nurturing somehow mm-hmm. and, um, kind of a healing balm. And then when I got to the losing part, that was very, very emotional. You know, as I was going through that process, yes, there were times when I was crying so hard, I couldn't even see the screen. I couldn't even see what I was writing. But I will tell you that I think that was a good thing for me. I think I needed to cry out um, a lot of the emotion that I was feeling. And I'm not a person who holds emotion in. So I wasn't trying to be brave. I wasn't trying to, right. you know, buck up and, and write and not have any emotion around it. Um, so I think that that was actually a good thing. And I know people have asked me that too. You know, how hard was it to write? And um, were you just crying all the time? And um, and yeah, there were there were some days when I cried so hard I was emotionally wrung out. And the next day I didn't write at all. Yeah. This was in yeah. December. Um, and I just needed a break yeah. and then I'd come back and I'd be like, okay, I'm ready for the next thing. But ultimately I do believe the process of writing it wasn't just for me. There was something, I felt like I was giving a gift to my mom. And so that, you know, and maybe you felt the same way about Catherine when you were writing, yeah. Yeah. but there was something about honoring the very brief time that little yes. sweet girl was in your life. And, um, you know, she came here for a reason, just for a brief time. And obviously it opened up a whole world for you. Yes. Of grief. Um, but wow, look what came out of it. This book that has helped other people and, and a whole career. And so she brought you quite a lot of gifts, even though in the moment it was absolutely heart crushing. And, and I'm sure you still cry because you miss your baby. Um, that's so understandable. Um, and for me, Two, it was honoring very much this beautiful dynamic, this uncommon twosome that my mom and I shared and really getting reflective about our relationship and what it meant to me, but also what it might mean for other people to read about it.
0: And that is really the crux of writing a memoir that that it touches other people, right? That it's not just your story and your mom's story, but what other people also can take from it, how they identify and pull from the story, what they need. Um, I'm so excited to get this book. I know you've sent me an advanced reader copy. I'm going to dig into it this week, but I'm also going to purchase it because I fully believe that we all should support each other in that way. And I also know that you're a beautiful writer. So (laughs) I want to support you as you go out there. So I would encourage everybody. It is launch day. I assume the book is available everywhere. That people yes, can find books and yes. um, the link I will put in the notes of this as well. But I was hoping that we could shift gears just for a second here, because you are a professional ghostwriter and your area of expertise is memoir. I was hoping that you could share a couple of things. One, how it was different being the actual author of the book rather than the collaborative or ghostwriter. We'll start there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> OK, um, well, you know, in both cases, it's it's about stepping into the soul space of a person. Mm-hmm. So when I'm ghostwriting, I'm doing that for somebody else. and I'm obviously doing that by getting to know them through our phone sessions, mm-hmm. through you know the, the interviews I'm conducting with them, maybe through some fa- foundational writing they've done. Um, they may not be, writers really, and that's why they've hired me, but they may have laid down some stuff that they just wanted to get out of their head. um, And that can be helpful. And then I also have them do some uh, homework, if you will, uh, to help me anchor them in a timeline and to understand who the players are in their life and what their relationship is with them. And so being able to step into that soul space is, it's a process because I'm getting to know them and their story in segments. And so as I'm doing that, I'm thinking about the themes that we've created for the book, the goals, and um, you know, I'm always writing around those, those things. And so I'm focused on that as I'm writing. And so in writing my own book, I was employing all of those same rules, if you will. I'm, I'm focused on themes and goals and takeaways. And at the same time, I'm, I'm also looking at how can I bring my story forth in the most engaging way? Yeah, But the difference, the main difference is that when I'm ghostwriting, I'm having set a session and then I'm writing a chapter two or three, and then we're going back and forth and we're refining it and then we're having a session and I'm doing it again. So it's a lot of stops and starts and back and forth in my own writing. Of course, I didn't have to do that. I was relying all on my own memory. So there was a lot more flow. I could actually write every single day and be in the flow of my own writing. But um, I think the biggest thing, and this is for anyone writing memoir, whether you're ghostwriting or writing your own, is it always comes back to relevance. Yes. What is relevant to the theme of this book? Because it's very easy to remember things and even something that seems like, oh, this is a great memory. I'm going to put it in the book. But is it relative to the story you're telling, to the takeaway for the reader? Is it it helpful for them to understand what you're trying to express? Or is it just sort of a side note that's kind of like hanging there? And so for me, it was always about bringing everything back to the relationship with my mom. So yes, my dad was a player. Yes, my grandparents figure into the book. But if I'm going to tell stories about them or I'm going to bring them in, how do those stories relate to my relationship with my mom or things that happened between my mom and me? So that was the big one for me. I'm doing that for other people and I'm used to doing that. But for me too, it's like, ooh, you know, yeah, that's a great memory, but it doesn't really belong in the book. So being able to reel yourself in Put your ego aside <laughs> as a professional and say, I, I need to really stay focused. And then I need to allow other people into this project when the manuscript is done and give me honest feedback. And I need to be open and accepting of that feedback so I can make the book the best it can be.
0: I think that's such a great point. And it, it kind of answers the next question that I was going to ask, which is, um, you know, what do you have any tips that you could give to those who are writing memoir and, you know, keeping it relevant? But it, it is hard when you're trying to put your entire life into one story, you know, pulling forth those pieces. Do you have any tips that you'd be willing to share on how someone can keep the book relevant and how, how you choose what goes where, you know, what goes in and what stays out?
1: Uh, I wanted to share four tips that I found personally really helpful as I was writing my own story. So I'm going to toss these out to your listeners and hope that they're helpful to them too.
0: Okay.
1: Number one have an accountability partner if you can. Mm -hmm. I had a partner who every day I shared my account, she shared her word count, and it wasn't sharing chapters. I wasn't getting early feedback. I wasn't sharing my actual writing, but just having someone to say, I made my word count goal today and to have someone cheerlead that was really, really helpful. So uh, I highly recommend that. Uh, I also recommend having word count goals every day as opposed to writing this many chapters or a chapter. And here is why. If you hit your word count goal, let's say it's 2,000 words, and you're right in the middle of a scene.
0: You're <laughs> gonna you stop, going to keep
1: going. If you stop there, you will pick up the next day so Easily because you oh, were right true. in the middle of something. Yeah. Now, if you get to the end of a chapter and you're like, "Ah, oh, okay, I'm done. And the next day you sit down at your computer and you think, oh my gosh, where do I start today? I, yeah. I'm not sure where I am. Now, that doesn't always happen. You may know exactly what you want to write in the next chapter, but I found that stopping at my word count pretty much, I mean, not like boom, right on the 2000 or 2500 or whatever I was <laughs> going for that day um, well actually actually allowed me to pick up super easily the next day and really kept the flow going.
0: I so thought you were going to say that if you, ha- that you would just keep on going, but now I totally appreciate what you're saying there. Cause there's been so many days, especially in NanoRimo, where I do wrap up something and I have that same situation. Like, okay, now what do I do? So I love that idea. <laughs> if you've got that scene, you're like, okay, I can keep going. All right. Love it.
1: Yes, Exactly. <laughs> Uh, The next one is never write for spite. When you're a memoirist, you never want to approach your writing from a place of spite. You don't want to say, I just want to get back at this person for (laughs) being a bad parent or being a nasty uh, partner or, uh, you know, being a bad friend or whatever. Um, Those things may very well be true. You may be writing about domestic violence where you're you're legitimately writing about an abuser. I'm not saying don't paint anyone in in an authentic light, but what I am saying is think about why you're telling the story Mm -hmm. and how you approach it means everything because it will affect the tone of your writing. And that leads me into, be prepared to embrace the three itties. And I say itty (laughs) as a suffix, as in (laughs) I-T-Y. dash I T Y. Okay. Authenticity, vulnerability, and accountability.
0: Oh, I love when that. You're a
1: memoirist. You want to be fully authentic. And when you're authentic, you're going to be vulnerable and you've got to kind of just get comfortable with that. Because if you're not being vulnerable, you're not allowing the reader fully into your world. You need to allow yourself to tell some stories. Sometimes that don't always paint you in the best light yeah. or that show that you learned something, even though you maybe you weren't proud of something you did. We all have done things in our lives that we're thinking, what was I thinking or whatever, but there's always something that we learned. Hopefully we grew out of it and something good came of it. So that vulnerability is important. And then ultimately you wanna be accountable for the decisions you've made, for the growth you've had. Um, for the role you played maybe in, in a bad relationship or in a, in a tough situation, it's not necessarily always another person's fault. We're players in it too. So yeah. when you're writing memoir, you do have to be conscious of all of those things. So remember the three itties, it is. <laughs> authenticity, <laughs> vulnerability, and accountability. Oh, I love so those, it. Those are tips. Those are my four, four tips to send you off with.
0: Oh, those are fantastic tips. Thank you.
1: Absolutely. Well, to begin with, you need to have a set of goals and themes that you're writing around. So for me, uh, like I said, I really wanted to honor the dynamic that we shared, the family I had and how I was raised with such unconditional love and how, you know, some of that dynamic played out. Sometimes it was really funny. Sometimes it was like, Oh my gosh, what's happening? You know, how, how are we gonna manage this together? Um, you know, when you grow up with your parent, it can be like that. So I'll give you a really concrete example. When I was a senior in high school, I went through a period of depression and it was very like on again, off again, and I didn't understand why it was happening. So I voluntarily went to therapy and During therapy sessions, I discovered something that had been happening with my mom was affecting me and something that had happened, an incident with my dad had really affected me on a level I didn't fully understand at the time, but it came out during therapy. So I could have decided, oh, I'm not going to talk about this. Number one, I don't want to make it look like my mom was doing something that wasn't very great. You know, and really all it was, was she was not always following through with times we were supposed to get together. She would cancel and I didn't understand why. (laughs) And then my dad had done something that wasn't like his most shining parental (laughs) uh, (laughs) moment in our life. And I thought, well, I don't wanna just make it look like my dad you know, wasn't doing such a great job in this moment or something. But the truth was those two things were huge in me coming into an understanding of myself. And my mom and I healing something between us, and my dad and I finding forgiveness and healing between us. Right. And I felt that was very important to talk about in the story because it shows that parents can be accountable and forgivable. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that that is important. So um, you know, I could have I could have written in a way that maybe looked like, um, oh, why are you just bringing kind of this sad story into right. it? <laughs> (laughs) But there there was something about my own growth as Mm -hmm. a person and as a daughter and for my mom and my dad separately too. Um, Another example would be if you remember something and it seems like there's relevance for you, but if the book is about, like in my case, my mom and me, and it really doesn't come back and relate to us at all or relate to, something that's going to relate to us, Uh then it's probably something to leave out.
0: Okay. Uh, That's good advice. I think it's, that's one of the most challenging things I think for a lot of people is really, but I love the, you know, just if you pick a theme, if you keep that theme in mind, and if everything is somehow related to that theme, then I think it makes it a lot easier to choose the stories that you, that you pull in and out of it. But definitely. uh, I am I am just thrilled to the moon to be sharing this this interview with my audience on your launch day. I am so I'm so happy for you that you were able to write this story um, because, you know, we've talked about your mom several times over the past couple of years, and I know how important she was to you. and. I don't think I said it at the beginning of this interview, but I'm so sorry for the loss. I know that that was, Aww. you know, huge. Obviously it's never easy to lose a parent, but I am, I am happy to also see you do something out of it in a way that can hopefully help with other mother daughter relationships and, and all those things. And I hope you are marketing the heck out of the Gilmore girls connection. You know, if you love the Gilmore girls, you're going to love yeah. this story. Yeah. Um, so many yes. fans of that show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, that has definitely come up in uh, in publicity. So that's been a lot of fun, but I, I can't thank you enough for being so supportive. You have always been so supportive of me, but for you to support me in this book and just being you and being <laughs> the generous spirit that you are. Being a wonderful colleague and a cherished friend really means so much for me to be on this show with you, especially today on this special day. Can I just throw in? I have to throw in that it's my mom's birthday. Oh my goodness. Happy, happy, happy birthday to Brie in heaven. (laughs) Yes. So uh, publishing on her birthday was really important.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really, that's really special. So everybody race over to Amazon right now and make sure you check out Raising and Losing My Remarkable Teenage Mother by Stacey Aronson. And if you are looking for a ghostwriter or an editor or goodness, you do so many beautiful things, um, interior layouts that are some of the most gorgeous interior layouts I have ever seen. Aww, um, thank you. Are you still doing all of that stuff before I start sending to you to people for all these yeah. things? <laughs>
1: I I definitely am. Yes, and I still love all of it. I've been a little more singularly focused yes. on my own book and marketing for a little while, but yes. Yes, we'll I love all it, of, so all those good things.
0: The book doctor is in.com tons of resources for you over there, and I really hope that we'll be seeing you again as a guest speaker in the Women in Publishing Summit this year.
1: Oh, yes. Or next always year, a technically. Privilege. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, always my pleasure to be there.
0: Well, thank thank you you so much, Stacey. Happy launch day. And I really hope that you see such wonderful success from this book.
1: Thank you so much, Alexa.